Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad you have joined us for this fantastic opportunity to share some good news. But, you know, I I have to temper this hour because there are some good news stories to share, and it's always great to share good news. But there are other stories to share with regard to the good news of the gospel that I think, well, I'll let you decide. This first story involves uh, a guy who has been released from prison for, uh, he was crime, quote unquote, was preaching the gospel. And I don't know if this name is going to ring a bell or not, but when I read this headline, I did a double take. I read a lot of headlines, as you can imagine. Asked my wife, she lovingly, kind of jokingly refers to uh, uh, my my. My smartphone, I will tell you what she really says, but my constant companion. I'm on the phone constantly reading stories, looking, researching, doing everything I can to make sure that I get the stories as accurately uh, for you as possible. I don't want to miss a beat. And on those rare occasions when we do get the bad information or whatever, someone's usually pretty kind enough to lovingly reach out and say, hey, that's not true or you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, But this story was one that caught me by surprise. It's good news, but it's yet another reminder of a couple things. First of all, how quickly things are moving in the world today. Secondly, how just because we have a good news report on one side of the aisle doesn't necessarily mean that it's also going to be that way as well. Um, it's, It's interesting. I think of the passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about the fact that, uh, you know, if the, if the robber knew or if the th- homeowner knew when the thief was going to show up, you know, he'd be better prepared. And once you do, fu- you know, chase away the, the evil spirit that is in your home, the spirit comes back with seven more, you know. That level of, uh, well, I should say persecution has been increasing worldwide. Uh, we see the reports from the Middle East, how Christians are the most persecuted people group in the world right now. We see more and more Christians in the United States having their faith challenged. You see a uh, uh, conversation like the one you're going to be hearing from uh, George Barna and me coming up next week. George has some new uh, statistics out with regard to people who are either biblically engaged or uh, or world citizens, as it were. And the percentage of young people, Christian and unbeliever alike, in the ages of 18 to 29, who identify as world citizens is 95%. People can say what they want. I mean, the way George does his research is he'll ask a question of people and they'll answer. They'll say, oh, yeah, I'm born and Christian, this, that, and the other thing. Then he'll ask them questions about their behavior. In other words, he'll do, uh, it's funny, people go, you shouldn't judge if you're a Christian. Well, I agree. But how about inspecting the fruit? I mean, Basically, it's the fruit that tells you what tree you're looking at. Amen? And the quality of fruit enables you to keep eating the fruit and benefiting from it, but also uh, tells you what kind of seed you got inside the fruit that allows you to reproduce the fruit. So much of progressive leftism in the culture right now is not replaceable or repeatable. It's mandatable by legislation, but it isn't something that happens, you know, naturally. And what is happening in the world right now with regard to the Christian faith is people are being arrested. People are having their businesses upended. Laws are being passed. I mean, did that, uh, there's a, a story we'll be covering in a couple of weeks about Arizona Christian University, speaking of George Barna. 
and a number of uh, student teachers that have been banned from a public school district there. And the reason has nothing to do with quality of work. If you inspect the fruit of the labors of these young people, you'll see that that has nothing to do with the quality of work that they're being banned. They're being banned because the pro-LGBTQ crowd that runs the school board in this particular school district in Arizona read the statement of faith on the website and say, well, that, that, that's, that's a direct odds with who I am and I, I don't feel safe. And the LGBT students won't feel safe either because I don't feel safe. And we're going to see more laws like that here in the States. It's already happening the rest of the world. And this is a, another group of pastors and ministry leaders were recently released from uh, an Iranian prison. But this is wild. Remember, you know, as we're coming up on the Holy Week story, of course, and the narrative from Jesus entering Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and, and then there's the uh, trial before Pilate, the so-called trial, because, I mean, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He's sinless. He, he didn't break any laws. He was who he says he was, is who he says he is, will always be that. And, of course, the Jewish community had a hard time with him saying that he was God. And so they brought him before Roman authorities and said, put him to death because we can't put him to death because our law doesn't allow it. But, you know, but l let's get this done. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting when you see what happened, because every year during Holy Week, Pilate would release a prisoner. Right. And in his case, he, re he had let me get the worst person I could think. How about the insurrectionist Barabbas? You know, what, what, what can we, how bad can we make it? You know, let's get the, act, think of the worst criminal ever and then put them up against this guy, Jesus. And the crowd were so delirious and out of their minds, they said, Barabbas, we want Barabbas released, crucify Jesus. That's what we, the people want. Now, of course, Jesus had to be crucified, but, you know, still think of the, the Jews that day who just said, you know, one minute we were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the next minute we're saying, crucify him, crucify him. But that tradition of releasing prisoners uh, has found its way into other world systems as well, case in point, into Iran. Now remember, Iran is a place where uh, it's considered a theocracy. According to Muslim law in the Quran, if more than half of the people who live in a certain area are Islamic or Muslim, then they have to be ruled by an Islamic theocracy. And in Iran, if you're a Christian, you are considered an apostate and keep being sentenced to prison. And so three pastors were freed recently from prison, having been sentenced to death originally for apostasy. But the government of Iran has an amnesty program where they release a couple of prisoners every year. They've done so every year to mark the anniversary of the 1979 um, revolution. And one of the pastors, there were a couple of, of uh, freedom advocates and pastors, Hadi Rami, or Rahimi rather, and Zaman Fadai were released. But the third name might sound familiar to you. And that is a young man by the name of Yusef Nadarkhani. Remember that name? When we started the Bottom Line show, that was one of the first causes we took up in 2011. Yusuf Nadarkhani was born in Iran. He became a Christian in his late teens. He became a pastor. He was sentenced to death in 2010 because he left Islam. 
Apostasy is punishable by death. He was in prison for about a year and a half, and by the time September 2012 rolled around, he had been acquitted of that, that charge, apostasy, but was later found guilty of a lesser charge for evangelizing. He was sentenced to three years in prison and served his sentence. By May of 2016, the Ministry of Intelligence in Iran began raiding Christian homes and house churches in the area of Rashisht. And in uh, July of 2016, um, he was actually he was arrested in May of 2016. By July of 2016, the Revolutionary Court of Rasht charged Yusuf Nadarkhani with, quote, crimes against national security. They accused him of being a Zionist. He and his wife and two other Christians were found guilty of acting against national security, propagating house churches, and promoting Zionist Christianity. In June of 2017, they were all sentenced to 10 years each in prison. In addition, Yusuf Narakani was sentenced to two years in exile in Nikshahar. He remained free until July of 18 when he was arrested and he was taken to the even prison. You remember when uh, the, the uh, not, not just Yusuf Narakani, but uh, Saeed Abedini was sentenced even to the worst. It's the absolute worst prison in Iran. Security officers uh, assaulted Narakani. His son was there during the arrest. Um, upon judicial review, his sentence was then reduced to six years. Hadi Rahimi was re- released from even prison on Feb 15. Zaman Fahidi on Feb 8. And Yusuf Narakani on Feb 25. The reason I bring this up is because we cheered and we rejoiced when Yusuf Narakani was released from prison back in 2012. We thought it was spectacular. We didn't realize he had been arrested shortly thereafter, uh, three years in prison, was released again and about six months later, arrested, sentenced in 2018, a 10-year sentence reduced to six, and the time off for good behavior, they let him go a year early. Lord only knows if he's going to be facing more criminal charges. But brothers and sisters, may we be strong and resilient in our faith and resistant to the culture that wants to try to shut us down as far as our faith goes. We've got this powerful story up of this amazing man. I can't wait to meet him, if only on this side of eternity, uh, coming up uh, when we get that opportunity. We've got a link for this story up at thebottomlineshow.com. Resilience is one of the many qualities of a great and godly man. Oftentimes we think, wouldn't it be great if dads would do a better job of stepping in and helping their moms? But recently a book has become so popular to help moms do the same type of thing that we had to get the author of the book, Rhonda Stoppe, on the air with us. Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, a classic book, has gotten a 2023 makeover. And we're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. 
Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, a special guest rejoining us today here on The Bottom Line for a relaunching of a project that has touched thousands of lives, and that is a project of encouraging moms to raise sons to be men. Uh, Rhonda Stoppi is here with me on the program today, and she's not only a well-known author and speaker, the classic and quintessential No Regrets woman, more than 30 years of experience of helping women build No Regrets lives. Uh, she's also a Bottom Line listener as well, and so I'd love to have listeners who write books come on The Bottom Line show. Rhonda, welcome back to The Bottom Line show. Thanks. So great to be back. What's it like taking a classic book like Moms Raising Sons to Be Men and reimagining it, knowing that here we are in 2023, and a lot of the stuff that we thought and said and did and taught maybe even five, 10 years ago really got turned on its head about three years ago back. Right. I was so excited when Harvest House, my publisher, came to me and said, hey, this book is a bestseller. It actually hit number two bestseller on Amazon. And it was the interviews that I did for Moms Raising Sons to Be Men on Focus on the Family were in their best of episodes Wow! because moms are just desperate for mentors. So in a decade, I have had opportunity to just come alongside of a whole generation of mothers raising sons to be men. But the world has changed so drastically. The fears that moms have over what might happen or what their son might stumble onto or be drawn into, it's different. So I was excited when they asked me to come in and do a rewrite. The book is now broken up into three sections. The final section of the book is called Even If. Mm -hmm. So there's even if you're going it alone, talking to single moms, even if you don't know what to say. And I love, I think it's in the even if you don't know what to say section, uh, Dr. Tim Clinton and Dr. James Dobson had done an interview on Family Talk about teen suicide. Mm -hmm. And I literally was like, this has to be in the book. So I reached out to them and I said, can I just put that excerpt in that chapter because the experts and they have so much more insight into this and you know my husband was in youth ministry we were along with youth for 18 years before he's been a senior pastor for 23 years at first baptist church in patterson california love it um but those 18 years you know we saw a, a wave of suicide run through our community when we were in austin texas one of the boys that killed himself because of a drug addiction that he could not get free from mm. Uh, then it just unleashed a whole bunch of copycat suicides in that high yep. school. Yep. And so that's a fear. And so they, they addressed it in such a real way about how to have those conversations with your kids, with your son. Uh, and then there was, even if he wanders, the fear of the prodigal, we're so afraid that we're going to, you know, if we don't control them enough, that they're going to walk down a path that's going to take them to rebellion. When there's a section in the book called Control Freaks Raise Freaks, if we control them so much, they will rebel, they will push against us. So learning that balance, but having hope for the prodigal, the ones that are in the middle of, you know, weeping over their prodigal, praying yeah. for their prodigal. So yeah, I was so happy to be able to come back and visit such a different generation of moms raising sons to be men than even a decade ago. 
Rhonda Stoppi, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. This is the 2023 edition, and I love the fact that, uh, Rhonda, one of the things you talk about, I mean, you give us some, some practical life lessons from moms in the Bible, and the fact that there are a lot of people in the culture who have kind of divorced themselves from the notion that God is the one who creates life in the womb, so God is the one who chooses who the parents are going to be. And a lot of times you see, you know, mom say, well, I'm not ready for this, or I was hoping for, you know, girl, and I got a boy, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You really drill down on the biblical ramifications of saying, hey, look, remember, God chose you to be this boy or these boys' mothers. Talk about that. And he chose me to be the mother of my son biologically. And I have an adopted son that didn't come mm -hmm. to our family until he was 15. Wow. And I have two daughters also. We have 15 grandkids, Rogers. Wow. So when I talk to you. Yes. That's fantastic. And most of them are under the age of six. It's uh -huh. a party at our house all I'll the time. Bet. I'll bet. And there's only four boys. The rest are all girls. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what your next book is going to be in 10 years. What it's I like know. to have teenage granddaughters all showing up and just, ah. <laughs> exactly. Hormones <laughs> on estrogen on hormones. yes yes <laughs> oh that'll but be fun it's it's interesting how god calls us to this ministry of motherhood and i remember when my kids were little and my oldest daughter meredith tony when he was adopted to our family at 15 became our oldest but when meredith was my biological oldest at four years old when brandon was born i remember she said something to me that just stopped me in my tracks she said i know you can't wait till we're grown so you can do whatever you want mm. and i realized i was looking outside of my home for the ministry for the things i wanted to do all mm -hmm. of the things in my heart that that i wanted to do for god basically and I realized I was teaching my children, you're an imposition on the ministry I want to do out there. And I knew I needed to be a better mom. I knew I needed help and I needed someone to step into my life. My mom was a teen mom and I was her second child. Hmm. I didn't learn from my upbringing. I love my mom. She was great. She was my best friend. We shared clothes. We were, <laughs> and I <laughs> yeah. led my mom to the Lord six months before she passed away in 2016, which is such wow. a joy, yeah. but I knew I needed help. And I needed to find out what it was that these kids in our youth group that liked their parents and their marriages were happy. I'm like, I got to know what those people know. And I went to them and I asked for them to be my mentor. Titus 2 calls the older women to teach the younger how to love their husbands, which means be a friend to your husband and love their children. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I took that very seriously because hashtag old ladies, no stuff, which that's the name of my new podcast. Old I love ladies, it. No stuff. Yes. Oh, that's great. And I knew that those old ladies knew stuff I needed to know. And I asked for help. And here's the thing. A lot of young women will say, I don't have any mentors in my life. And that's really one of the reasons I wrote moms raising sons to be men is it's written the way that I talk. Like you're hanging out with an old lady that knows stuff, <laughs> but I will tell you this you have to go to those old women's Bible studies. You have to in, put yourself in their life. Don't expect them to chase you down. They don't think you want to know what right, they know. Right. So if you're wise, I was the only young woman in this Bible study of all, it was a precept study. It was a ton of homework. Mm -hmm. And I was like, honestly, the only reason I went was because I wanted to hang out with the, I had left corporate America to be a stay at home mom. I was lonely and it was like three hours of grown up time and the kids are in babysitting. I'll go never yeah. knowing how what those women shared as they mm. 
studied scripture and they shared from their successes and their failures. I teach more passionately from my failures than I do my successes. Amen. I can write a letter to my younger self. It does no one any good. But if I write it, <laughs> the next generation, which is yeah. what mom's raising sons to be men is now it has the potential to change the trajectory of someone's life. And yeah. there's power in that because that's God's plan for yeah. Titus 2. Boy, and, and Rhonda Stoffi is preaching a great gospel for us to hear today here on the Bottom Line Show for men and women, but specifically for women who are raising sons and the book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, guiding them toward their passion and purpose, purpose and passion. Uh, we've got it a link up at thebottomlineshow.com and that, that segment you have in your book about generational impact is huge because how many people are so focused on now? You know, it's just all about now and I got to get now right and now can't be whatever without even thinking, okay, well, wait a minute. I think of Stuart Briscoe and his wife, Jill, one time talking about, you know, the, the repercussions of ministry. And they went out to a lake and Stuart handed her a handful of rocks and said, start skimming them along the lake. And she's like, this is the silliest thing I've ever thought. And then he said, what do you notice? And she said, well, all it does is it hits and then you see the rip. And then she began to realize what he's talking about, about the ripples and the water's just starting to go and how, how, what impact this had here and where it goes there. And, and moms forget, I mean, you're so consumed with being perfect. You know, you're so consumed with getting them everywhere they need to go. If long as I got the schedule squared away that maybe they do start doing what your daughter was uh, not accusing you of, but kind of noticing, Hey, once we get to the point where yeah. mom's schedule settled, she's going to be so much happier once we didn't have to do this anymore. But that one impact. Yeah, one act that has an impact on generations. That's a great chapter. Yeah, it, it really is. And honestly, I would have ruined my family. I would have sucked the life out of my husband. I would have expected him to make me, give me my worth and my value instead of Christ. And I would have taught that to my children. And I'm a people pleaser. I'm a middle child. I want everybody to be happy. I would have raised my kids for what people thought of me. Mm -hmm. which is really being a glory stealer. God calls us to, he says, I created you for my glory. When we create our children for our glory, you know, when you talk in church like that, what are they going to think of your pastor father? When you dress like that, what are they going to mm -hmm. think of you? When the teacher calls and says, you didn't do your homework. That, how does that make me look? And we teach our kids, this is about how mom looks. And you, when they hit junior high, they're like, well, I'm, I'm going to show you something then mama. I'm, I'm going to show you, you don't have control over this and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. make you look real good. So that was something I learned from older mentors also, because I don't want to raise my kids for what people think of me. I want them to raise, be raised to honor Christ and Amen. a letter to your future self. You're raising the people you're going to want to spend time with most. If I mean, my kids are all, my youngest is in her early thirties. My oldest is 41, 42. They're my favorite people on the planet. The mm. time that you put into molding their character, training them to respond kindly to one another and to uh, not respond in harshness and not gossip about each other behind each other's back, all those seeds you're planting in the small quietness of your home or of your grandparents and you're wanting to pour into them, those are the people you're going to want to spend time with more than anybody else. So why not groom their character to be somebody that is not just likable, but is a delight. And it comes with the washing of the water of the word and it begins with you. So let it begin with us. I love it. Rhonda Stoffi is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're celebrating the re-release, the updated edition of her classic book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. It's just now out, guiding them toward their purpose and passion. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. How do we parent without regret? We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. 
When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Moms Raising Sons to Be Godly Men is our theme. Rhonda Stoppe is my guest. We've got a link for her book up at thebottomlineshow.com. If that book sounds familiar, it is, uh, because she wrote the book about 10 years ago, and then her publisher, Harvest House, said, you know what? It's time for a redo because, my goodness, we need kids who are emotionally strong and resilient. And trust me, this is a book that helps you do all of that, Mom. <laughs> We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It just came out this week. Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. We've got one copy of this book to give away right now. would love to put it in your hands or in the hands of someone you know. Maybe you have adult children who are raising boys and uh, you want that mom to have this resource. Give me a call. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, you're calling for Rhonda Stoppe's book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's amazing to see how many parents are waiting longer to have kids. Once they do, you know, there's... Hey, let's face it. I parented, and Lisa will say the same thing. Both of our oldest are close in age, and we blended family. And our youngest, not so much. But you could tell there's a big difference between the way we raised the older ones and the way we raised the younger ones. And yet, the mom's influence in a son's life is massive. And if you are a mom or a grandma who has a <clears throat> has a, a, a young man by the ear right now during this season, pre-adolescence, adolescence, post-adolescence. Remember, adolescence starts now in the early to mid-teens, and it lasts until age 27. So just because your kid is a college graduate doesn't mean he is not out of adolescence yet. Rhonda's wisdom is so spot on, and this book is so necessary here in 2023. I highly recommend it. Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion, Book by Rhonda Stoppe that's up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of this conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. 
You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Rhonda Stoppi is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I should say fellow middle child Rhonda Stoppi, which is probably why we're getting along so well because no one understands us and no one really cares anyway. But uh, And we're invisible. I, Nobody sees that's us. Right. <laughs> that's right. As a matter of fact, did you know that earlier this week was National Middle Child's Day and no one cared? Not at all. Not- <laughs> no. I missed it. I missed it too, because we were so busy doing for other people, right? Um, Rhonda's new book is called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're talking about sons, and I use the kind of generic overarching sons, knowing that there are moms listening to this conversation who have sons in single digits and some sons in their 40s and 50s. Um, Where's the sweet spot? for this, Rhonda, in terms of, I mean, there's got to be some place where mom feels like she's walking on quicksand as when the young man hits what age? Yes. So we talked about before the break about parenting without regrets. Yeah. And we will have regrets if we parent without the power, the wisdom, the strength of the spirit of the most high God. Uh, I think of the stories of one of the moms in the Bible is, um, Rebecca, when she had the twins and she like, told Jacob, trick your dad and you're going to get the blessing. And what did that cost her? He and his brother were at odds for the rest of their lives. Right. He left and went to Laban to work for his uncle Laban. And we don't know if she ever saw him or his children again, he came mm-hmm. back and his father was still alive, but it never mentions if his mom was still alive, but years and years and years of, of separation because of a regretful decision that she made when she was trying to go ahead of God. A lot of times we see our kids and we see the plan kind of unfolding in their character and their talents and their gifts. And we start pushing them toward that. We start shoving them in, you know, sports or music or drama or academics or whatever. And we start pushing, pushing, pushing instead of the Bible says, just wait on the Lord and rest. Mm -hmm. And so when, when we decide this is what I see in my son, now we have to learn how to guide him toward that purpose without pushing him. And that takes much wisdom. And in Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Mm -hmm. But when your son starts pushing you away and you'll know when he's turning into an adolescent, because he starts smelling real funky and he gets a little (laughs) bit of an attitude. You don't want to go in his room. Mm -hmm. And, and he starts not being the mama's boy that he had always been. And I watched it in 18 years of youth ministry alongside of my husband. I watched boys do that to their moms. And I, 
recognized it. But when my son, Brandon started pushing me away, we were buddies. Like we were close. And I was like, Mm -hmm. dude, that's his nickname, dude, what are you doing? And, and he would say things to get me to cry. In fact, he and I just spoke at, uh, Hmm. actually it was before the pandemic 2020, um, mother son retreat at Mount Hermon. And he spoke to the moms and he said, when my mom stopped crying, I knew I had lost control as an adolescent boy. Mm. And he said, I was a punk, but I knew if I could get her to cry, she'd let me go do the thing that I was trying to, you know, get her to let me do. So when our sons start pushing us away, what we have to realize is there is no coming of man ritual in our culture, except don't be a mama's boy. Or if you're raising your grandson or your granddaughters, don't be a grandma's boy. Mm-hmm. And so when we uh, see them, you know, Brandon didn't want to sweep the kitchen floor. He had swept forever, but now all of a sudden it was kind of beneath him. And and I'm like rebellion in the camp. What do we do? <laughs> Instead of realizing men want to take pride in their work. So all of a sudden Brandon needed to do something that he was proud of. I didn't understand that. At some point, my husband, Steve stepped in and he said, you don't work for your mom anymore. Now you work for me, dude. And I want you to pick and shovel a ditch from the house over to the barn because we want to run power. And it was hard ground. And so the next morning, Steve went to work and he said, don't remind him. If he doesn't do it, don't rescue him. Don't step in the way. This is between he and I. And now I'll talk to moms because we want dad, or if it's not dad, a a male figure in their life, we want them to step in. But then when it's too hard, the consequence, we're like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Because, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy. So you have to step out. But what surprised me was when Steve came home from work, Brandon was like, dad, I can't wait to show you how far I dug today. Dad, come and see. Dad, do you have um, do you have gloves? Because I have blisters on my hands and I have to play worship on Sunday. Which, by the way, for those of you that are in Central Valley, Brandon is now the worship pastor at Big Valley Grace Church, which the Lord okay. orchestrated to bring him local. We're so happy that they're back close to home. That's but great. I was like, this kid didn't even want to sweep my kitchen floor. And now he's got <laughs> hands that are all blistered and he can't wait to get out there tomorrow and do more. And I was like, what's happening right now? But men, they need to work and they need to have men that affirm them. Now, if you're a single mom, single grandma, and you're saying, wait, I don't have a husband or a man in my life. My husband as a youth pastor was that godly male role model for a lot of young men. So if you don't have your kids in a youth group, you don't have your kids part of a church family. I think it's 25% of Christians didn't go back to church after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as such is the habit of some. And all the more as we see the day approaching. If you watch the news, yep. I'm telling you, the day is approaching. Get yourself in a church, get your kids in a church, and let them find, they need heroes. They need yeah. godly male role models. And they need to see godly marriages that look like what it's supposed to look like. If you're from a broken home, they need to be a part of a church family where they see marriages that do reflect Christ's love. Hmm. Powerful words of exhortation from Rhonda Stoppy today here on The Bottom Line, talking about her brand new book called Moms, Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Just a couple minutes left in our conversation time, Rhonda. And we talked about, you know, regret-free parenting, which is, is so important. And there are going to be times, too, when it is appropriate to kind of say, okay, I'm going to be the mom who's going to raise that son to be a godly man even when I don't know what to say. And that's got to be so counterintuitive for moms, especially because moms always know what to say, right? I mean, it's kind of an ongoing gag in our family. It's like, <laughs> hey, is, every, is mom okay? Because she hasn't been giving me unsolicited advice. You know, I mean, I don't know what to do. And I'm in my 60s. 
but but as you were talking about the mom wanting to step in and rescue, my wife has a great expression for that. She goes, "Yeah, I had to leave my cape in the closet," and I'm oh, like, "Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's good." So how how do you help moms? with the balance of that wanting to do something, but at the same time, they kind of want it to happen and don't want it to happen. Grow up, but don't grow up too fast. You know, that type of thing. I don't know what to say now that you're doing this. The, we have to have courage. I think of what God said to Joshua when his mentor Moses died, his hero of the faith died. And why am I tearing up over that? Mm. And God said, tag, you're it, buddy. Lead these children, mm -hmm. these whine and complaining people who Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land because he got so mad at them. And now it's your turn. What did God say to him? Be strong and courageous. Yeah. That, why did God say that? Because he needed courage. Motherhood requires courage. And yes. go through Joshua chapter one, verse one and following. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't look to the right or to the left. Meditate on his word day and night. And then ask God for wisdom and strength. The world is going to give your children a worldview, whether it's through the shows they're watching, the YouTube they're streaming, the what you know, we can talk all day about screen access and how you need to yeah. be so careful with that. But when my son was 10, and I remember he was asking me about sex, and I was like, Oh, with your dad, with your dad. <laughs> he goes, Mom, just Tell me. So I like pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I like put on my biology, junior high biology teacher hat and said, here's what happens. And let me just tell you, when you talk about uh, intercourse with your children, you want to make sure you use the word husband and wife, not mm, man and woman. Yes, and yes. Always use the word husband and wife, mm -hmm. because it is God's sign of the covenant for husband and wife. So I explained it all. He got it. Then he asked, why did this girl in the youth group get pregnant if you only do that to procreate? Which mm. I was like, okay, now we got to talk about that. Don't you want to ask your dad? <laughs> <laughs> but I asked the Lord for courage and yeah. I explained to him, you know, all that, you know, God created our bodies to long for intimacy. Boys often will try to conquer girls to see if they can get them to have sex with them. Girls are believing if I have sex with him, he's going to love me forever. Right. So we talked about all of that and the purity and, and really the bottom line that you want your kids to understand is when you're involved sexually with someone, you are not being led by the Holy Spirit. And you are going to make the most important decision of your life besides salvation, choosing the spouse you're going to marry, walking in rebellion to God. You're not being spirit led. So anyway, at the end of the discussion, I said, there's a woman that God has for you, Brandon. Let's pray for her to stay pure and for you to stay pure. So we knelt at the bed. He prayed. And after he got done praying, he said, and Lord, please keep my sisters sexually pure. And please mm. don't let you boys use my sisters for sex. <gasps> I'm, I'm so wow. like, wow. <laughs> so I wanted it to come from his dad. Mm -hmm. But because it came from a woman's perspective mm -hmm. first, not only did he get it, but he also it opened the door for he and I to talk often about any questions he had. Now, when Steve got home, I'm like, Hey dad, we had the yeah. talk. Tag you're it. I'm at, <laughs> I still don't know what they talked about. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What a powerful story and, and how great for you to share it with us in the context of what we're dealing with now in the culture, where there are a lot of things where we used to know our, our, our mutual friend, Jim Burns likes to say, Hey, we might've been seven or 13 or 20, but we were never their age. I mean, it's a whole different ball game in terms of parenting and grandparenting, but moms 
have a, such a huge role and responsibility in raising sons to be godly men that this book, uh, this reworking of it, this kind of refreshing uh, of this book is just, it's fan, it's phenomenal. And I'm so glad that this the time is now for such a time as this. Rhonda Stoppy, the book is called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Purpose and Passion. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Best place to find you on social media is... Uh, I would just go to my website, noregretswoman.com. All my social links are there. I hang out on Instagram and my new podcast, Old Ladies Know Stuff, and the Grandparenting Summit through Legacy Coalition is in Dallas this year. I'm speaking at that. It's grandma and grandpa camp, so come join oh, us. <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay, great, Rhonda. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate having time with you on The Bottom Line. So love when I can visit with you. Thanks, Roger. Well, I love this book. I love this concept, and I'm glad we had this conversation today here on The Bottom Line Show. My thanks to Rhonda Stoppy once again. Again, the book is called Moms Raising Sons to Be Great Men. Well, I added the great part. Um, it's guiding them toward their purpose and passion. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. This book just came out this week. And I highly commend it to you. Uh, we've got one copy we're giving away. Crystal's taking your calls right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 The number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by Rhonda Stoppe, S-T-O-P-P-E. Uh, the book is called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, we know it takes a mom a lot of work to to put that kind of influence into the life of her son. But it also takes dads and mentors and male role models and things of that nature. So what about what happens when a coach is accused of using scripture to not guide and mold and direct the men that he is coaching, but rather to use it in a derogatory term? Kind of good news story about a school that actually took some steps against a coach who used scripture, I think in a way that may be considered to be inappropriate. We don't want to take anything God's word says out of context, but uh, well, you can be the judge. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Rhonda Stoppy for stopping by the bottom line show. And if you didn't get a chance to hear the entire conversation, you'll hear it on our podcast at thebottomlineshow.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. Also, we've got video of this. Uh, <laughs> I left right as we were wrapping up going into commercial. Rhonda got a screenshot of the both of us. So hopefully we'll be able to put that on our website. But myhopenow.com will have this interview uh, once we get through the log jam of other stuff that uh, the other bottom line, uh, the other Crawford hosts are putting up. Oh, wait. Um, okay. it's They say bragging isn't bragging if you got the facts to back it up. If you go to myhopenow.com and you see the video from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, we do that once a week. Um, and also Neil Boron Live, Bob Duco Show, John Rush. If you take a look at the inventory that's in the video, I'm just saying that you will, you'll see videos from Neil and John and Bob and you'll see more videos from the bottom line than the other three shows put together because Tamara and I just go nuts with video, full stop. So <laughs> there you go anyway. Well, Rhonda Stoppy gets added to that list as well at myhopenow.com. We're giving away a copy of Rhonda's book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. If you've heard of this book before, the title is familiar, but this is a brand new book, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. Just out this week, and we've got a copy that we're giving away, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, before the break, 
I mentioned that uh, it's very important for both young men and young women to have role models in their lives. I love the fact that uh, we've got uh, uh, Rhonda Stoppy doing her uh, her podcast, and I just we've got uh, <laughs> Rhonda's website is linked up at thebottomlineshow.com, and the podcast is very very uh, it's crucial I think uh, in this day and age because there are a lot of people who are. Um, you know, they're taking a look at what's happening in the world around us. A lot of younger people, they have been told that they are the center of the universe. And now they're no longer the center of the universe because they've realized that that's something that we older folk learned when we were much younger. Uh, toward that end, if you uh, find yourself, uh, you know, in that situation where you're, you're looking at... Uh, uh, <laughs> Well, you're looking at the world around you and you're saying, gosh, wait a minute, I thought this was, uh, you know, I could say these things that I could speak freely because this is the way I feel about them. Um, you know, there's a time when we learn that we're not the center of the universe. It usually happens when we're three or four. But in a culture that is really narcissistic, it's tougher and tougher for people who are adults, who are older, who have... Um, a, uh, you know, the, a different way of looking at life than younger people do. It's one of those things where you're trying to, you know, kind of mentor and be there for them. And if moms are having a tough time uh, raising godly sons, you can only imagine what it's like for the athletic coaches of the day. Now, I say this as the father and bonus dad of a couple of athletes. I've got a daughter and son-in-law who are involved in the fitness training world and work on the university level and with professional athletes. And then I have a, a bonus daughter and son-in-law who are in the professional tennis world, who are coaching and you know finding that you know, they're more of the Generation Z variety. So it's a little easier for them to kind of speak that language. But when I saw this story about a guy by the name of Mark Adams, who had been the head basketball coach for the men's team at Texas Tech University and that he was suspended over racially insensitive uh, words that he had shared with his players. I thought, okay, what is this all about? On March 3rd, Kirby Hokut, who is the athletic director of Texas Tech, was, quote, made aware of an incident regarding a coaching session between Coach Adams and a member of the men's basketball team. According to the university, one of the members of the team was being encouraged by the coach to be more receptive to coaching. Now, let's, let's get something straight here. <laughs> First and foremost, this is a universal problem. Here's a 66-year-old man. And I'm just going to say it. But poor guy's been worn down by a lot of life. I'll just throw that out there. 66 he looks like he's seen a lot more years than 66. And maybe it's because the grueling regimen of coaching Division One basketball. We see this happen with our presidents. You know, these young guys get elected, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama. They go into office all young and full of enthusiasm. They come out of office, they're all gray and chiseled and, you know, or grizzled, I should say. <laughs> it looks like they've been through a lot. So Mark Adams has been through a lot. But here's a 66-year-old man who's been coaching Division One basketball for a number of years, and now he's working with these 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old guys. And he got into trouble because he had one of his players that was not uh, responding well to coaching. And so he had a private meeting with him and said, hey, we need to be 
more in line here. And, you know, this is that's as old as athletics. It's a team sport, and the coach has to be in a position where he can take a player on, you know, you see the football team, sometimes the coach gets right up at the coach, the kid's face mask, or, or baseball, they'll take him for a long walk, or, you know, I don't know how it is in swimming and tennis and stuff like that, but basketball's a team sport, and if you don't get those five guys on the court to work together, then it's got to be, you know, it's a, it, it, it's, it's got to be taken into consideration. Well, here's the problem with the way Coach Adams handled the situation. He said basically that he, the, the player, he said, you know, I, I told him that uh, we have to take, you know, the, the, the Bible, uh, it, it, where Jesus talks about, you know, there are people who are, uh, you know, parents and people who are children. And then he said, and then you also have to take into consideration as well the places where Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. Well, depending on which translation you use, well, you can see where this can become somewhat problematic. Uh, Coach Adams, by the way, has been coaching successfully at Texas Tech for quite some time. He was named the head coach in 2021 and immediately led the Red Raiders to a Sweet 16 tournament season. This year, the team went 16-14. and 14. Um, If they beat West Virginia, they need an automatic qualifier to make it back to the tournament. Uh, Coach Adams is a legacy. This guy is graduated class of 79 of Texas Tech. His pay is pretty darn good. Um, after he signed on as coach in 2021 and they made the tournament, he kind of con- signed a contract extension. His contract runs through the 2026-2027 season, totaling $15 million. According to uh, basketball analyst Jeff Goodman, who reported on the situation, uh, the Christian Post reached out to the school but didn't get any comment. According to uh, Jeff Goodman, he said, basically... They asked him what happened. He said, apparently someone said there was a complaint that what he told one of the players, there's always a master and there's always a servant and you need to be a good servant and obey your masters. Well, now, wait a minute. That's starting to sound a lot more like Ephesians 6, 5. When the Apostle Paul writes, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. You see that in Colossians 3, 2, or 22 and, and other places. Well, the school wound up suspending him. Coach Adams said, look, in the Bible, Jesus talks about how we all have bosses and we are all his servants. I was just quoting scripture. It's a private conversation about coaching and when you have a job, being coachable. But that's not how the player took it. That's not how the school took it. And Coach Adams has now been suspended. And quite frankly, I think they made the right decision. So why is this a Good News Friday story? I'll tell you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You still have a few moments left to get in on the drawing for the one copy of the brand new book by Rhonda Stoppe that we have, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. Two two seven five two seven eight. the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, Mark Adams, 
formerly the head coach at uh, Texas Tech University, a graduate of Texas Tech in 1979, 66 years of age now, hired back two seasons ago to be the head coach, got him to the Sweet 16. Had kind of an off year this past year, but he still signed a contract extension recently that pays him $15 million through the 2026-27 campaign. He had a player who was kind of dogging it a little bit, called a private meeting with the player, told the player, uh, you know, here's the deal. Um, There's always going to be a boss and a coach type of thing. And he said, I quoted scripture in a private conversation about coaching. I have a job. I I told him he needed to be coachable. Someone said uh, uh, in the Bible, Jesus talks about how we all have bosses and we're all his servants. And um, he said, I was quoting the Bible. He then called a team meeting afterwards because the player went to the leadership and said, this isn't right. He said, I didn't apologize. I said, I just wanted to explain what I was talking about. He didn't t- mention any specific verses, but nonetheless, he was um, he was suspended. Um, it's interesting because I think that the, basically what the school said was uh, he immediately addressed the team and apologized, but he's been suspended anyway, effective immediately in order to conduct a more thorough inquiry of his interactions with his players and staff. Now, why do I think that this is a good move to take? Because quite frankly, it shows to me a guy in his mid-60s who does not know how to effectively communicate with his players. I would venture a guess, though I've not seen the roster, that a good majority of those kids are African-American. And any mention of servants or slaves is going to trigger them. Now, what about Roger? Come on, snowflakes and all that stuff. And can't we just get past it? Can't we just get over it? I want to see a man who quotes scripture, quote it in such a way that it is effective. Never, never, ever should a coach refer to his players as servants or slaves. I understand what he's trying to say about being coachable, but there are much better examples in scripture of how to do this. Plus, the modern era of people do not understand slavery as it was defined in scripture. Yes, there were times in Old Testament where there were people who were overrun, their country was overrun, and one nation rules against another, and they put these people into bondage. There were indentured servants who basically sold themselves into slavery until they could pay off debts. That's what a lot of the New Testament's about. But for a coach to look at a black kid and say, hey, you know what, you gotta be a good slave, that's just dumb. I mean, it's, just, it's really thoughtless, and I hope Coach Adams can recover from this. I really can't, I hope he can too. It's too bad that the team kind of gets bounced right before the NCAA tournament. But this is a place where if we want to say, hey, we can move on past this, a good place to start would be, come on, pay attention. This is not what this generation is going to respond to. So we want to be good stewards of the coaching positions and leadership positions that we have and the language that we use in the same way missionaries should be careful about the language that we use in sharing with other people. I believe that this is a case where the school got it right and the coach can learn a lesson. And that's the bottom line on that. So that's a good news Friday story for us. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. You've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, more good news stories to share with you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I should say welcome back, um, depending on whether or not you're welcoming back from. This is for our KLTT audience who 
welcome me back from yesterday, or for our network audience that was listening to the previous half hour of this program, for those who are listening in Denver on KLTT, weekday afternoons 2.30 to 3, local time on AM670, the Bottom Line Show is a 90-minute release every day, and it's heard on our flagship affiliate, KBRT, in Southern California for the full 90 minutes, and also here in your own backyard on KLDC, AM1220 for the full 90 minutes. So if you ever get the urge to hear this uh, live and in person as it's happening there, then uh, that's what your opportunity is, and we use some uh, uh, magic of the media to be able to bring it to you every weekday uh, at 2.30 here on uh, KLTT for our Denver audience. But Good News Friday is something we've been doing for more than half of the life of this show, which will be celebrating its 12th birthday coming up in September. So I guess we're kind of nearing our uh, 11 and a half month uh, birthday. So uh, grateful to be able to share that with you. Um, good News Friday is the day we focus on the good news of the gospel. And we also talk about good news um, with regard to what's happening in the world around us, because we know there's so much not so good news. I mean, the, the reality is there's plenty of things to feast your eyes upon. Some of the uh, terms that the media use to describe this, are, and they're, I, I don't think they do this with any sense of irony. I don't think they do this with any sense of disdain. Uh, they're not concerned about this in the least. But that is the, uh, the reality, they call it uh, zombie scrolling, where you get on your phone or your tablet or on the computer and you just roll around. It's easier to do on a mobile device because you just kind of slide your finger up and you know, your index finger goes up and you find the worst of the worst. And it's just, it's not a pretty picture. And then there's something called doom scrolling, where um, we have a tendency to look at things that we uh, might be afraid of or, or we're drawn to because we're, uh, something might have happened in the past. I know someone who is uh, uh, really almost kind of addicted to looking at videos of car crashes, you know, with the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the advent of the body cam and the dashboard cam for police officers or people just mounting a GoPro on their dashboard in their car uh, or some higher tech cars, of course, actually have uh, recording mechanisms in them which are very helpful for insurance companies and law enforcement and things of that nature um, if you're trying to follow up what happened, what actually happened in an accident versus what, um, what you thought happened. Um, and I know the older I get, the more I, I rely on a camera like that because as my brother's drum teacher, Pete Mungo of Southern California College, which is now Vanguard University right here in Costa Mesa, used to say when Brian was studying with him privately, Brian's tempos were all over the place. And yet I remember one time we were playing along with a record, some song. I had my bass out, Brian had his drums out. And Brian's tempos were just, they were super fast. He was just so excited to be playing. He's probably 12, 13 years of age. And I stopped the record. I looked at him and I said, boom, chick, boom, chick, boom. Follow the tempo. That's what you're supposed to play. And he he would go into uh, his, his drum lessons with Pete and they would play, and Pete would record every lesson. And Brian finally asked him, why do you record my lesson when I'm playing my drums with you? And Pete had this kind of big curly uh, head of hair and a big smile on his face, and he said, because, Brian, the tape doesn't lie. And I know, the great man of God, and I appreciate the fact that uh, we have now a culture where we do have these videos that we can see, and we can, I mean, we, we're seeing a lot more of the horrific crimes that have been committed, especially some of the police brutality cases that... You know, a lot of times we don't want that to be true. We don't want to think of law enforcement as being vicious and brutal. And I think for the most part, they're not. But every time you see an instance of police officers using excessive force on people, 
you know, male cops on female officers or, uh, you know, Anglo or Hispanic or sometimes in the case in Memphis, you had African-American cops beating up a black guy. I mean, the, the videos are helpful and they're instructional. But um, but if you watch too many of those, the the uh, the industry term now is zoom uh, is doom scrolling and some people kind of get addicted to it. You know, they, they like to see that. They like to hear that. A lot of talk radio, unfortunately, has become that way as well. If you, I was talking with the, uh, one of my colleagues from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, and we were talking about the types of call-ins we get. I said, quite frankly, uh, we have the most successful call-ins when I'm giving away an album or a DVD or movie tickets or something like that. He said, I totally agree. I mean, we've gotten to the point now where either everyone thinks they're an expert and they don't need to weigh in on an, an opinion or something like that, or quite frankly, it's just what polarizes people the most. And if my job as a pastor and as a broadcaster is to hopefully create a dialogue where people can have meaningful discussion and, and even disagree on certain issues, and then be able to model that in the culture, that means we're not just going to say, okay, well, what would get our audience most agitated? And let's polarize them and make them take sides so we can have a good debate online. Sometimes those debates are healthy. There's no question about that, but it's been my experience in the dozen years we've hosted this program where that's not where y'all are at. You, you want to learn, uh, be informed, be inspired, and take that into your own world. And if that's the case, then I'm more than happy to oblige, and especially with some of these good news stories, which we talk about the good news, the good things that are happening in the world, but also, too, it's good news that you could take with you. I mean, I picked Friday because it's the end of the week, but also... It gives you the opportunity to now go to church this weekend and talk to your friends at church and say, hey, did you hear what Roger was talking about on the bottom line? They had this thing about what we're going to talk now about the Amorites and some tablets that were discovered that give us a little bit of insight into the language that was spoken back then. Maybe that's not the kind of thing you're hearing on your mainstream Fox News, One America News, CNN, MSNBC. And hopefully it's, it sparks some conversation some dialogue, some encouragement. Uh, this first story for this half hour, uh, talking about um, the Amorites themselves. I mean, this is the, the people who were frequent adversaries, of course, of the Israelites in the Old Testament. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are debating all sorts of history, even authenticated, uh, factualized, uh, verified biblical history. And whenever you find something that does verify biblical history, it's for us in the body of Christ, even if it doesn't seem like a big deal. Hey, we found this coin in this temple. Hey, we undercovered this underground city, you know, that had been buried over by years of debris and whatever. Every time it verifies something that we read about, we are vilified, I mean, by the, by the left, but we're verified in what we believe. You know, the left, oh, the Bible's a fairy tale. You know, it was written down by men and, uh, you know, the men are fallible people. Even some people on the so-called progressive left in the church will look at the existence of, you know, some of these uh, documentations that you know, show up and document and authenticate biblical history. And they'll still refer to biblical history as, you know, well, okay, maybe that kind of did happen, but you know, you still can't tell that uh, the prophecies about Jesus are true and whatever. I saw one church actually during the Lenten season, I've mentioned this before, they're showing the chosen and they refer to the chosen series as historical fiction. Now, there, it's true that there is a fictional account in the chosen in terms of uh, artistic license taken by Dallas Jenkins and the creators of the chosen, 
to fill in some of the gaps where the Bible does not directly specifically speak to these issues. But in terms of the gospel story, they are looking for the uh, harmonious gospels, if you will. You know, we have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then there's John's gospel that has a lot of things in it that aren't in the others and vice versa. But you find the places where the gospels all line up and say, this is what thing that all these gospel writers agreed on. That's what you're seeing in the chosen. So if there are parts of it that are left out, it's because they were looking for agreement. They didn't get it. If there are parts that are added in, it's because they wanted to add to the storyline and say, well, look, that, like the, uh, I, I think it's safe to say now, since most people have seen season three of The Chosen, that one of the storylines here was uh, Simon, uh, Simon Peter, and his wife Eden, and uh, of whom we know very, very little in scripture. And the fact that they wrote into the storyline, the fact that Eden and Peter were expecting a child and then they had a miscarriage. And people say, well, there's nothing in scripture that says that Peter's wife had a miscarriage. But women miscarried in biblical times. So why not add that to the story in a way that enhances the period of the times without adding to the gospel narrative? It was a powerful story. We had uh, Lara Silva, who uh, plays uh, Eden on The Chosen, was with us on the program about a month ago, and she said, hands down, when it came to storylines and plot points for season three, she said, overwhelming abundance of my email came from women who had had miscarriages who said, thank you for telling that story. So whenever we find something, and I love to lead off a half-hour segment on Good News Friday with something that verifies biblical history, we're now going to get a whole big hug and a how are you with regard to the Amorites, uh, the Amorites and uh, the fact that these are the ones who uh, were a big thorn in the side of Israel in the Old Testament. We'll tell you about the research that actually uncovered this coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash wilsonfinancial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're talking Amorites today here on the Bottom Line Show. If you look in the Old Testament, you see that the Amorites were constantly, or seemingly constantly, at war with Israelite, with the Israelites. Well, now a new uh, pair of tablets have been discovered in Iraq that actually uh, corroborate the story. Um, there's a new research article out called Two Remarkable Vocabularies, Amorite Akkadian Bilinguals from the Review de Asaglia, et cetera, et cetera. And sorry, it's, the rest of it looks like it's in French and I'm, I don't want to mangle the pronunciation. You can read it at thebottomlineshow.com. Tamara will put the article up. But basically, the research in these in this uh, new article says not only did the Amorite language, the Amorites exist, and did they have their own language, 
but it was possibly used as far uh, as ancient Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq. Manfred Krebernick, a professor and chair of ancient Near Eastern studies at the University of Jena in Germany, and also Andrew R. George, a, pa- a professor emeritus of Babylonian literature at the University of London's School of Oriental and African Studies, uh, wrote this study. They were giving an interview to Live Science, and they said, you know, it, it, there are many people who it, doubted that this language existed, but now they found two tablets that were discovered in that region that point back to the Amorites. And an area right now, uh, it, we, we refer to where they were uh, discovered as Syria and Israel. But um, prior to that, um, a lot of people thought that there was very little evidence that there were Amorites, and the reason was that they had no record of any kind of language being written down anywhere, let alone being read and spoken. The Biblical Archaeology Society notes that researchers describe the pair of old Babylonian tablets that actually date back as far as around 1900 B.C., as being inscribed with similar vocabularies and then divided into two tablets. The right-hand columns are inscribed in the Arcadian language, while the language used in the left-hand column is what researchers call the Northwest Semitic, uh, kind of a mixture of Akkadian and something else. They are believed to be uh, unprovidenced objects which were likely illegally taken from Iraq following the first Gulf War about three decades ago. They, they were found decades later in private collections. One of them was found in London. The other was found in New York. Uh, further study of the tablets led researchers to the conclusion that the language is a variety of Amorite, which is similar to Agarite, which is uh, Hebrew and Aramaic uh, thrown in there as well. Uh, fascinating. So they found the language. Now the next question is, well, what does it mean? You know, what was, what was on the tablets that said not only can we corroborate the language, but does it actually, what does it mean? According to the BAS, the first tablet contains a list of deities, constellations, food items, and clothing, and it's written entirely in the Amorite language. The second tablet has bilingual phrases in Amorite and Arcadian. Um, it's interesting because researchers say that in addition to offering further insight into when and where the languages were used, the tablets might also show a link between the Amorite language and the Canaanite language group, which includes Hebrew and Moabite as well. The Canaanite language goes back to the 14th century BC, um, but some of the phrases that were used then are nearly identical to modern Hebrew. Um, it's interesting because when you think about the Amorites, look at Genesis. Um, let's say uh, Genesis 10, for example, that's when we see that the Amorites were descended from the line of Canaan, which is you know, an, a grandson of Noah. But then in Genesis 15, 16, we read that God would not permit Abram to destroy the Amorite nation because the nation's sins quite were not yet in full. However, the Lord later told Abram that he would remove his protective hand from the Amorites. And as the Israelites were taking the promised land, Joshua warned that those in the land, quote, chose this day whether they would serve the one true God or the false gods of the Amorites. That's that part of Joshua 24, 15 that we pass over. You know, if you go, here's the whole passage, verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped before the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord, Joshua says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. 
Now, this is the part where we always just go to, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But look at what Joshua writes right up to the beginning of that passage. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then under uh, Solomon in 1 Kings 9, we see the Amorites were eventually taken captive and forced into slavery. Their final mention is in uh, the book of Amos, where the minor prophet says, and I brought you out from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. So now we have tangible evidence that the Amorite, the Amorites, and the language and everything did in fact happen, and they did in fact fact have their own language these two tablets are, are basically have been retrieved now one from a private collection in iraq and one in uh, or one from london and one from new york we've got a link for the article up at the bottomlineshow.com hey uh, on the other side of this break we've got a f- another uh, good news friday story to share with you to wrap up this edition of good news friday and it's a powerful story because of not only what happened but where it happened now it happened in a church it involved a gang of some young guys who entered into the church to rob the place. And then what the pastor and the church there, because services were in session, what they actually did to respond. But I want to talk about why not only it's a huge miracle that the pastor and the congregations were able to defeat these armed robbers, but the physical location of where this happened, I think, is crucial for us in the American political world. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, this Good News Friday edition of the broadcast. I'm Roger Marsh. Good to have you along for the ride today. And remember, we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com that article, we talked about earlier in this half hour segment with regard to the number of people who um, are now saying singing a different song about the Amorites existence in the Old Testament because of those two tablets that were discovered that basically corroborates everything you read about the Amorites in the Old Testament. It's true. Yet another reason why we can trust the living and inspired Holy Word of God. Our final story for this week involves a robbery that was scheduled to take place at a church that was stopped by a most unusual source, but I couldn't help notice the location of this church. 
I think plays a great significance in what's going on and the power of God inhabiting a place that has been rocked with turmoil. A gang of armed men crashed into a church called the All Creation Northview Holiness Family Church to commit a robbery. The crime was scheduled to take place on Sunday, February the 12th. And as they came in, I mean, there's the pastor up in the pulpit and there are members of the congregation who are there and they, you know, it's a pretty good sized church. And these guys came in, apparently there were, looks like, uh, I'm looking at a picture of the guys as they're being apprehended. There are about four young men who came in and they were going to rob the church. Uh, Marcelo Fertel is the church's pastor. And he tells a remarkable story about what happened here as these young guys came in. They all came in. They were armed. They, you know, a lot of times this has been happening more and more. I think we talked about a, a church was in Brooklyn uh, late last year where the pastor was robbed literally while he was in the pulpit preaching the gospel. A couple of uh, thugs came in and tried to relieve him of his watch and his car keys and a variety of other things, some cash he had on hand. And it turned out that pastor had been involved in a criminal uh, case where uh, the pastor had identified someone who had committed murder on a subway or something like that. And this was apparently a retaliatory crime from the gang people. I mean, the bold, brazen nature of sin in our world would an, an, an empower somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to go to a church and I'm just going to bust in on the service. Now, not that this has, hasn't happened before. Um, I know from my many years of growing up as the son of a choir director, that the ladies in particular would come into the choir room, they would put on their choir robes, but they would invariably leave their purses in the choir room, and the choir room would typically stay locked from the outside. You could get into it from the sanctuary, this, that, and the other thing. There were occasions where some women would come back to the choir room afterwards and their purse was missing or the wallet was out of the purse or something like that. Happened very rarely, but it does happen. But the idea that four armed young men could storm into the all-creation Northview Holiness Family Church on Sunday, February 12th, and basically try to rob the entire congregation, well, that just shows you, brothers and sisters, how brazen the enemy is. Evil doesn't hide anymore. Not that it ever did, but I think evil felt that it was better to operate in quiet spaces, you know, areas where you were not, you're kind of flying under the radar, as it were. You know, sexual sin happened in the dark alleys and places where nobody went and red light districts and stuff like that. Now it's on the Super Bowl, for crying out loud. It's on network television for hundreds of millions of people to see. And the church stands by kind of powerless going, what do we do? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that the call of the church is to, quote unquote, Christianize the culture. But for those Christians who kind of played the same way, when evil was lurking in the shadows and the dark alleys and the places where people saw, there are a lot of people who kind of lived their faith like that too. And I think part of this revival that's sweeping through our nation right now is God is calling everyone to give a public accounting. Whose side are you on? I mean, it's, really, it's not a question of you saying, I've got to stop the evil and you know whatever. I mean, only God can do that. I do love these parents who are going to school board meetings and speaking up, and I love that. That's good. We should continue to do that. But in a case like this, what do you do? You're in church. Your pastor's preaching the gospel, and four young guys come in and say, all right, everyone put your hands up. You know, And they've got guns, and they're pointing them at you. What do you do? Well, I mentioned Pastor Marcelo Fertel, who is the church's pastor, 
Um, basically, these two guys came into the church carrying a couple of bags. They started asking the children's director there, uh, you know, some questions. And next thing you know, Pastor Fertel or Fertrell said, um, I knew there was something wrong. Oh, by the way, did I mention that Pastor Fertrell also worked as a police officer for 10 years? He said, when I saw these guys come in, they had masks and they had gun guns. I knew something was going to happen. And so immediately I started looking, I looked at their waistbands to see if they were armed. And yes, they were. Another member of the church saw um, a member of the group drop his weapon. So Pastor Fertrell, instead of scaring his congregation, went on with the services planned and he notified police. He also assisted a directed church staff to move the children in the room to safety and ensure that the faces of the men who came in were recorded. And then he began to pray. He began to pray and pray. And he started, everyone got up and prayed. And the elders of the church got up. They found out where these guys, these young guys were. And they went in the back. And instead of rushing them and taking their guns away, you see this beautiful picture of these four young men with their heads bowed, their masks removed, and these men of God placing hands on their shoulders and praying with and for these guys. No one was hurt. The pastor said, I, I, after, after what the service was done, he said, I, I asked these guys, who sent you guys here? Y'all just saw a church and decided to come talk to me. Then he said, let's praise God for these men attending church. And then I said, look, don't play with me. I've still got cop anointing and I still know what's going on. I know what's about to happen here. God's about to change the plot of the enemy though. He asked the young men if they would pray with him and they did the Ferguson Police Department would later confirm that the four men left the church and they're still being investigated. I'll tell you what did I mention. Ferguson, Missouri is where this happened. Remember what happened nine years ago in Ferguson, Missouri? All the racial tension that was there, the Michael Brown case, the misinformation that came out of there about what really happened, the thousands of people who descended upon that city and rioted that place and looted it and burned businesses to the ground. And 70% of the people who went to Ferguson weren't even from Ferguson. They were just bandwagoners. They were getting paid by leftist operators to, to destroy this town and get on the media that God would choose Ferguson, Missouri to do this miracle, I think is not coincidental. I think God is very intentional about the work that he's doing there. The church there has been dealing with the aftermath of racial tension and police brutality charges and things of that nature, but the community's rising up and getting involved. And it took a pastor who, as he said, still had his cop anointing to say, we are not going to respond with fear to these young men, but we're going to respond with faith. No robbery was committed. Nothing was stolen. No one was hurt. Please keep praying for these young men. They came to church seeking evil, but God meant it for good. That is good news indeed, and that's the bottom line.